Will you open your Bible with me, please, to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. When I was 16, my family had a blue GMC van. Um, it was okay. Not the nicest van ever, but not bad. And I learned how to drive on my dad's little car and on that blue van. And looking back on it, I sort of stole it, and I don't re didn't realize it at the time. But one night, I was having sort of a crisis of faith, and I decided to go for a drive. I was home alone. My parents were out for whatever reason, um, and my siblings were away. And so the blue van was home, and my mom and dad were away in the car. And so I took the blue van, which I was allowed to drive, don't get me wrong, but I say in retrospect, I kind of stole it because I didn't exactly call it. There weren't really cell phones at that time. My dad had a pager. But I didn't page him and be like, hey, Dad, can I borrow the car? Anyway, there I am tooling around St. Louis, driving, driving around in the blue van. And uh, I'm thinking about things and driving. And perhaps you've had one of those times driving in your car where you are praying to the Lord and asking him, Father, if you would just say something, if you would just say a word about this thing, if you would just say a word over my life, if you would just say something that I can hold on to now. Now, I believe the Bible. I know you. I know you've spoken. I know that you have sent your son. I know he died on the cross for me, but I just need something from you. Have you ever had one of those kind of moments? So driving around St. Louis, that was happening to me, and uh, I didn't go very far. We had just moved into a new uh, apartment at the time, actually. We had moved out of our house for some several reasons and moved into an apartment not far from here, actually. And so I basically drove around Chesterfield Mall while there was actually stores there. And that place is sad now, isn't it? I know. It's awful. But the Lord is so kind, isn't he? And he does speak to us. And I want to open the word to you this morning with that sort of little story in mind because we can all relate to it. Of times when we've just been looking to God of, Lord, I just, I just need you. I just need to hear something from you. And as we look at Genesis chapter 3, we're coming into the story here at the very beginning where God has made man and woman, Adam and Eve. He's placed them in his garden. He is ministering to them. He's walking there day by day. They know him. They know a place on earth where God resides. That's an incredible thing. They have all this fruit, things that they can eat in the garden. Uh, they're at harmony with nature, if you will, which is really cool. And we don't fully even know what that looks like because we've never experienced it. And then the serpent comes and lies to them. And starts asking them questions about, did God really say these things? And did God really speak? And did God really mean it this way? And he's trying to trick you and sows all these seeds into their hearts. And the woman is deceived and the man is with her right there. And he's deceived too. And she eats of the fruit, he eats of the fruit. And the fall happens and it's sin. Now we don't talk a lot about sin in our culture anymore, but it really when you boil it down, the easiest way to think about what sin is, is it's just disobedience. That's what it is. The Lord's the creator. He's like the parent. And he said, eat all this stuff. Great. Don't eat that. It's not good for you. If you eat it, there's going to be problems. And they came and they ate it. And this disobedience was death to them because God had told them, if you do this, you'll surely die. And so suddenly, man and woman feel ashamed. They're naked. They never felt that way before. They've never realized that they were naked before. They run and try to hide from God, which is silly hiding from their creator. And he comes walking in the garden. He says, where are you? God knows exactly where they are, which is incredible in and of itself because, you know, he could have just zipped right in front of their face. What are you doing? 
He doesn't. Instead, he's walking in the garden again. Where are you? It's like a child. Have you ever played hide and seek with a child who just is really bad at it? They're like standing in the corner, just over there. You're like, oh, where are you? Where are you, Eden? That's my little girl, Eden. Where are you, Eden? And then I, are you here? You know, that's how we do it. So they're hiding from God, and God comes to them, and then he's going to judge them. And he's going to judge them because they have disobeyed. They have broken the rule of the creator. And as we look at Genesis 3, we see the Lord giving to the serpent judgment because he's deceived Adam and Eve. He's giving to the woman judgment, and he's giving to the man judgment and them together. And in Genesis 3.15, here's what it says. Let's read it together. He's talking to the serpent. He says, God says, I will put enmity, Genesis 3.15, between you, that's the serpent, and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Now, this is an incredible statement. It's an incredible statement because in the middle of judgment, God is saying that he is going to do something. If you are uh, telling your child who has disobeyed, about things and you're trying to correct them, very infrequently do you say, I am going to step in and do these kind of things other than the judgment itself. Does that make sense? But here's God. He's talking to Adam and Eve. He's talking to the serpent. And the whole word that he is here, that he's saying here, is that he is going to do something. Not only is he going to put enmity, that is this conflict between the serpent's offspring and this godly offspring, but the offspring itself is going to still come. Now, this is incredible because he told Adam and Eve that they were supposed to multiply and fill the whole earth. One of the mandates that they had was to have children. And so God, in their disobedience, doesn't remove from them their place of what they're supposed to do in the world. In fact, his plan, if you will, to bring this correction, to do something about this problem of disobedience that has now broken the relationship between God and man, is that he will intervene, and he's going to do it through the means that he's already told them, that they are going to multiply and fill the earth, and somehow this one offspring, this baby is going to come. In the Hebrew here, this male child, this, this one, that's why it's interpreted he here. This baby will come who's going to fix things. And so there's a promise given already that we're supposed to be on the lookout from the very beginning of this story for this baby, this boy, who's going to come and be God's salvation. That's incredible. From there, we move on in the story, and we come to Genesis 4. And Genesis 4 is sort of a heartbreaking tale. Let's read it together. Are you ready? Here's what Genesis 4 says. Now Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought from the firstborn of the flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? 
The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me away today from the ground and from, the and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord shall put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then, then Cain went away from his presence and the Lord, from, of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. The word of the Lord is beautiful. It's sad. Understand Adam and Eve's angst in hearing this. If the Lord came to you, you have disobeyed. You failed God. And the Lord said, I will interject. I will put enmity between your offspring and the offspring of the serpent who, de who deceived you. I will bring a son. That son is going to be your salvation. That's what he told them in Genesis 3.15. To the serpent, he said, you're going to bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head. And so Adam and Eve have a son, this boy Cain. He becomes a worker of the ground. They have another son, this boy Abel. Abel is tending the sheep. Things are not good. Understand, they're kicked out of Eden. Things are not going great for them. They are still in rebellion to God, even though God is so gracious in how he's still providing for them. And then these children grow up, and they have worked hard and bring an offering to God, and the God has regards for Abel. And what must Eve think? What would you think? He's, he's the one. Because she tasted paradise. She knows what it smells like. She knows what it tastes like. She knows what the, what the mud feels like under her feet. She knows what it's like to be able to walk in just as it should be. And it's not that way anymore. And so she's looking at this child thinking, this is the answer. This is what God's promised. It must be. And then Cain goes out in a field and kills his brother. How would your heart drop? What would you think? What kind of word would you ask God for? Lord, say something to me. It's horrible, isn't it? Can you feel the, how the story is? Who's this story actually written to? They lived it, those people. Who's hearing it for the first time? It was the people of Israel coming out of their slavery in Egypt. And Moses is saying, these are the things that have gone before you because for hundreds of years, they've been enslaved by the nation of Egypt and now they're learning their heritage. And this is the first place of their heritage that they're taken. And they're thinking, maybe this is the baby. But it's not. Boy, it's, you know, the Bible is dramatic and how it introduces to us what God is doing in the earth and how he is going to save us. Uh, when I was uh, younger, I was a soldier, and I served in Iraq at one time. I was a military police officer. And one day, one of my soldiers were out, and they were on a routine mission. We were, our mission was to work with the Iraqi police. And so we'd serve warrants and work in the jails and patrol and do all that kind of stuff. That was our job, and train them what to do and help them. So one day we're out on a mission, and uh, I got a call on the radio that the squad had been attacked. And so the trucks are driving down the road, and there was a bomb on the side of the road, and it was, uh, had gasoline jugs all around it. So when the bomb went off, it created a fireball. 
and the fireball engulfed one of the trucks. And there was a gunner who was a woman. Her name is Burbridge. And she was probably my, one of my best gunners. This girl was tough as nails. She was hardcore, as we used to say. And Burbridge was up in the machine gun when this happened. And so the fireball came right over her. And so the truck was on fire. The ammo's on fire. The tires are on fire. Burbridge is on fire. So, sorry. She's okay, by the way. She's good. Was just, I'm going to spoil the story for you. I know you need that. So Burbridge is hurt, but she's okay. And she's wearing all her protective gear stuff. So she's got gloves. She's got glasses on. She's got a helmet on. She's got her stuff on. So the fire that's burning on her is quickly put out, and it's on her clothes, and it's not on her, if that makes sense, right? So she's a little bit scorched. She didn't have a beard like this. She's much prettier than me. But she got a little scorched on her face. She got scorched on her hands and stuff. And she was hurt, but she was okay. And so I heard this on the radio. And I immediately jumped in my truck, and I went to go check on her. She was my soldier. I was her leader. And I saw her and encouraged her and made sure she was okay. And then I went immediately back to my office, and I created a poster with my interpreter. And we, my call sign at the time was Shadow Warrior 6. I was, who we, I was Shadow Warrior 6, yeah, which sounds way cooler than I am. Right? Hi, I'm really nice. I'm going to be a pastor someday. Anyway, uh, Shadow Warrior 6. So I came back, and our emblem was basically like this Grim Reaper guy on a skeleton of a horse. Right? So inside of our trucks, Grim Reaper guy, everybody knew Shadow Warrior 6. Uh, three of my guys had bounties on them that the Taliban and, and Al-Qaeda had put out. If you kill Shadow Warrior 3, we'll give you money. So they knew us in town. And so uh, I, wrote a, I made a poster, and it had a picture of our emblem, which was scary looking, and in Arabic it said, you burned my gunner, I'll burn your town. Give me the people who did it, or I'll destroy you. That was, that was the whole poster. And I gave it to my guy, I said, put it up in every police station, because the police know who it is. So if they don't arrest them, we'll, we'll, we'll get them all. And one, one of my interpreters, his name was Khan, and uh, I had 11 interpreters, and Khan looked at me, he was Kurdish, I love Khan, he was one of the bravest guys I've ever met. And he said, uh, Sadie, which means sir, he goes, Sadie, you can't put this up. I said, why not? He said, you, you're not gonna burn the town. I said, yes, I am. I was, I was angry, I was very angry. He said, you're not gonna burn the town. I said, oh yeah, I, I'm gonna do it. He goes, I know you, you're not gonna burn the town and you can't tell them you're going to. It's not gonna help anything. What are you trying to do? I said, I'm trying to establish the police. I'm I want them to patrol, I want them to do it. I want a oh, law and order, let's stop all this madness. He said, exactly. He said, so if you put your vengeance posters up, what will that accomplish? I said, it'll make them afraid. He goes, they're already afraid. Don't worry about it. That's why they're doing it. And so I stepped back and took the posters down, tore them up, gave Khan a carton of cigarettes. <laughs> uh, that sounds terrible, but that's, I mean, he, that's, he was very blessed. Um, why am I telling you that story? I'm telling you that because in a vulnerable moment, me, who's now a pastor today, right? Serving God, giving the gospel to people, talking about Jesus Christ's sacrificial love. In that moment, when my soldier was hurt, I was ready to do anything, anything to make it right the way I felt it should be. I was ready to go on a rampage because Burbridge was burned. And I had 40 guys behind me and a lot of ammunition to do it. 
And here's God who's just, and I'm not. Here's God who created the world. Here's God who promised son would come, who's going to solve this problem of the rebellion, of the brokenness, of the sin, of the disobedience. And his brother Cain rises up and kills him. And what does God say to Cain? He says, the voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. Could you imagine the, all the, the angst, all the anger, all the brokenheartedness that Eve had? How much more the creator himself who had created them, that they would be his vice regents in the world that would look like him, that they would walk the image of God, if you will, people walking around who were made to reflect him. And what is he like? He's like faithfulness. He's like love. He's like justice. He's like righteousness. And the very first children kill each other. It's unfathomable. It's unfathomable. And the reality is, Jesus tells us, that if in our hearts we just say, you fool to people, we're in the same danger of hell that Cain was. Because we in ourselves are so capable of walking into sin and disobedience and rebellion and junk that God did not intend for us. And so there I am driving around in a blue GMC van saying, God, just tell me something. And sometimes what God does is he just shows you your own heart. And it's not as good as you think. It's not as great as you expect it to be. It's not as lovely as you want it to be. You're not as good as you think. Why not? Because I cannot attain to that standard. And neither can you, because the Bible tells us that we all have fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us has gone our own way. Every one of us has sinned. Every one of us has that same rebellion in our heart. So what's God's solution? What does he do? The solution is that he sends his own son who will come down and who will take that wrath for us. Turn your Bible to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. God is going to be faithful to his word that he gave to Adam and Eve. And he will send a son. This is what Hebrews chapter 12 says, and it's, it's talking about this kingdom of God that's grand and glorious and unshakable. And in talking about the kingdom, the writer of Hebrews is telling us that is reminding us of the law and the giving of the law. So the people of Israel come out of slavery in Egypt, and they come to this mountain called Sinai, and God's presence comes on the mountain, and he gives them the law, and he tells them what kind of people they're supposed to be and how they should live, and he calls them his own possession, and it's a terrifying scene because the very presence of God is speaking to his people, and it looks like lightning and thunder, and there's darkness, and there's earthquakes, and it's, it's a scary thing. It's so scary, in fact, that God in his grace to the people, says, build some fences around this area because anybody who tries to come up by me is going to die because he's so holy, he's so big, he's so mighty. This is the God who bared his arm, the scriptures say, to deliver the people from Egypt. And what did that look like? It looked like miracle after miracle and, and power everywhere. That's what it looked like. And so the people are coming to this holy God who is righteousness, and they in themselves are not worthy. And so they can't get too close. It's a scary scene. 
And that's what the writer of Hebrews is reminding us of as we come to Hebrews chapter 12. Here's what he says in verse 18. Read with me. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18. It says this, For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem and to innumerable angels and festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. And here's what happened to us. What happened to us was that God fulfilled his promise to Adam and Eve that he gave in Genesis 3.15. And he did send a son, his own son, Jesus Christ, who is God eternally, the second person of the Trinity, came to become a man for us. And in coming down, he came under the same conditions that we're in, but without sin. He was born, imagine this, God himself born as a baby helpless that he would grow up, that he would live, that he would be tempted in every way like us but without sin, that he would perfectly fulfill the law, that he would be exactly the representation of everything that God had wanted and intended man to be from the very beginning. He would actually fulfill it. And in fulfilling it, in being perfect in every way, God's plan was to put all of the iniquity of all of us onto Jesus Christ. So when Jesus Christ, the perfect God-man, went to the cross on our behalf, when he died for us, when he was crucified and beat and whipped and raised up on those tree limbs, when those things happened, understand the Bible tells us that he became a sin on our behalf. And the very wrath of God that would be poured out, the anger of God, everything that he had stored up from that time in the garden, the, from the time that Cain had killed his brother, from every, everything that we had done that was disobedience to God, all of it was poured out into one moment onto one person, Jesus Christ. And so Jesus took the full punishment of everything that was due all of us, including Cain, including everybody. It was all poured out onto Jesus. And he really died for us. He really breathed his last. He really said it was finished. He really died because he took the punishment of what was due all of us. The Bible tells us that if we confess our sins to him, if we confess our disobedience, he is faithful and just to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. How is that possible? It's possible because he fulfilled his justice by putting all that wrath onto Jesus. He paid the price for us. That's incredible. Jesus Christ is our salvation, not just because he went to the cross, but because he, after dying for us, rose to life again. The fact that the cross couldn't hold him, the fact that the grave couldn't hold him, the fact that he rose again means that there's hope for us because as he rose, we have faith that he will rise us up with him. Here's the truth of the gospel. You are not good enough. If God shows you your own heart, it is not clean enough. At the end of the day, the same junk that was in Cain 
if we're true with ourselves. It's in our hearts, too. It's there. And if God looks at us in the standard of Jesus Christ and to perfectly fulfill everything that he has called us to do, none of us can attain it. None of us. But the beauty of the gospel is that in our failure, God sent his son faithful to Genesis 3.15 that he would take all the punishment for us, that he would take all that wrath for us, And the Bible tells us that if we believe in him, David said it earlier, we become new creations in him. We say with Christ, we've been crucified with him. The old is gone. The new has come. What that means is now we belong to Jesus. We're reborn in him. We're made new in him. We're washed clean in him. Our whole salvation is in him. I have nothing to bring to God except what he has done. And say, the Lord himself, he is my salvation. He's the only reason that I can stand before God. That's it. And the beauty of the gospel is this, that God in his wonderful, faithful kindness to us not only wipes away our sin in the crucifixion of Christ by putting all that wrath onto Jesus, but he also takes Jesus Christ's own righteousness and puts it onto us. So you are declared free of sin. You are declared saint in God. You are declared holy to be able to come to him. You are declared his own children. You are declared new creation in Christ. You're not part of that old anymore. Now you're in the new. And it's so beautiful and freeing and wonderful because the word that has been spoken, Hebrews 12 tells us, is that there is a better word than what's crying out to God from the blood of Abel. If God was so angry, so committed to his wrath being poured out for the blood of Abel being spilled, that the blood was crying out to him from the ground, that he would pour that onto Jesus, all the wrath, even for that then the blood of Jesus that was spilled speaks a better word. It also declares over you, righteous, holy, freed, made new. It declares that you are in him. It declares that you're not part of what you used to be. It declares now that you belong to Jesus. And so the word that God has already spoken by his own blood is that you belong to him. You're not part of that anymore. And so driving around in the blue van, I'm seeing my own heart. And realizing it's not as good as I thought. And here's the truth of the gospel is to give it to Jesus. Say, Lord, I I have nothing. I cannot stand in your standard. I cannot make it. I need you, Lord. I need your salvation. Will you wash me clean? And the Bible tells us that he's faithful and just because of what Christ has done. That he will cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And now the blood of Christ speaks a better word. And so now we receive back him and a new heart in him that we belong to him and so the word that god has spoken over you if you believe in him is that you are his and you belong to him free from sin alive in christ belonging to him ordained for his work representing him again on the earth that's the word that's spoken over you and i'm asking you now receive it by faith that you can say lord i need to hear something from you Hear the Bible scream it out to you because of the blood of Christ. That it's already been spoken. That you are his. It's a beautiful truth. How do you receive that? You take your heart. You say, Lord, I have failed you. Forgive me. I repent. Forgive me. I turn away from all of it, but I need you. And trust him more than you trust yourself. So that at the end of the day, you fall before Jesus. And you say, my salvation is in you. Your life, your death, your resurrection. It's why we move to the communion table up here. Because now flanking our stage 
We were buried with him in baptism. And we partake of him remembering Jesus Christ every week. It's all about Jesus. He's all we have. He's our salvation. If you don't know Jesus Christ today, if you've never bowed the knee to him, make today the day of salvation. If you ask the Lord, reveal my heart to myself, he will show you. You will not like what you see. And if you pray, Lord, forgive me. Cleanse me of all unrighteousness. He is faithful and just and will do so. What that means is, Lord, I trust you more than I trust me. You know, the crazy part of that little Iraq story thing I told you is I came home and they literally pinned medals on your chest for the horrible things. They literally do. I was talking to a soldier one time. He said, why are you a Christian? I said, I'm a Christian because I can look back at the very best things in my life, the very best of who I am, and it still does not earn me access to heaven, make me right with God. It doesn't do anything for me. My best accolades, the best things that I really thought I was better than other people for, when God showed me my own heart, didn't, didn't count. But in Christ, we're washed clean. And the blood says we belong to him. Do you belong to Jesus today? If you're waiting for a, for a word from God, Lord, just say something. The word I'm telling you, his blood speaks a better word. And it speaks over you that you are his. Let today be the day of salvation. If you know, have known God for a long time but maybe wandered, he's faithful and just. Confess your sins. Get washed clean again. Walk with God. See what he does. If you are walking in God and you are strong and you're just like, yes, thank you for this remembrance, tell everybody about it. Because there are so many people walking around thinking that they are really better, thinking that they're okay, desperately dying to know the word that the blood speaks. We serve a great God, don't we? He is faithful and true. Let me pray for you. Raise your hands to receive a blessing. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you that your blood speaks a better word than Abel. Thank you that your word will never return to you void. Thank you, God, that you have done the work of salvation. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would cause your word, your gospel, to settle in each of our hearts, that we would know you, serve you, walk with you. Lord, place our lives before you that in everything we do, we would remember you are the faithful one who sent your son to die for us. May you know the calling of the Father. May you know the life of the Son. And may you know the power for salvation of the Holy Spirit. God bless you. The Lord is with you. Have a wonderful week. See you next week. God bless you all.